Good evening. It's a great privilege that we have to be here as God's children and to offer our praise and worship to Him. I hope the things that we study tonight will be um, beneficial and encouraging to everyone. When I think of Old Testament Bible stories and you look to um, those stories to see people who were young, who stood out, uh, there's a few that jump to mind. Joseph, Daniel, David, and these men were one of my favorite stories because I liked their names when I was little, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We could have used any of these to convey the thoughts that we wanted to tonight, but because of the appeal that these characters of the Bible had to, to me whenever I was young and some of the things that we have to learn from them, that is what I have chosen as kind of a character study of these three men from Daniel 3. It's a very intense and dramatic scene in Daniel 3 when these men are called before the king based on their actions. In chapter 2, these men were, were, were young men, probably 20 or below when they were taken into captivity. In chapter 2, Daniel is called before the king because he has had this dream that uh, none of his wise men can interpret. And so Daniel is among the children of Judah, the captives that have been brought in to be trained up in the king's household so that one day they may stand before him. And he was able through God to successfully interpret this dream and was given a uh, place of prominence and power within the kingdom. And at Daniel's suggestion, the king also gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego places of authority. The events as we enter into Daniel 1, 2, the first portion of Daniel, these events are going on during the period of exile of Judah into Babylon. This exile signified the end of Israel's history as a nation, having once been given the promised land. And then as God had set up judges, and then because the people, they wanted kings, and they were given a succession of kings, and the Jewish nation proceeded to disintegrate over a number of centuries. The experience of most of the Jews in exile was one of living in communities of humiliation and sorrow and difficulty. There were generations there, two and three generations living together in these communities, suffering the indignity of exile and remembering their homeland. And it is one thing to be in the company, even in sorrow, to be in the company with your brethren and those of like faith. But the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as well as Daniel, was much different than the majority of those who were taken into captivity. They were brought into captivity early. They were separated from the people of God. They were put within the king's household and put under the care of some of his uh, 
leaders or eunuchs that would train them and prepare them to teach them the things of, that they thought were necessary. These were very intelligent young men, and they su supposed when they brought them in that they would be able to stand before the king, and they were trained in that situation. So they were not with their dads and their moms. They were not with the elders of the children of Israel. They were, it's generally supposed, about 16 years of age when they were taken in, into captivity. The age of these young men that led singing tonight, separated from their families, and they were called to live for God and to be his representative in, in a setting of Babylonian power where God was not known. They were to be the representatives of his truth. The New Testament also tells us that we too are required to represent the truth of God's word. And I believe these young men can serve as good role models, as a good story based in the time of the Old, uh, Old Testament, the children of Israel that can serve as examples to us as Christians today. Depending on the jobs we have, we are surrounded mostly by people who are non-believing or not active believers who may be actively hostile towards religion. Our experience today does not put us with people of like mind all the time. And so we, too, must learn to associate ourselves and be around other people and be a godly influence in a time where things can be very difficult within our own families, within our work situations, within friends that we've grown up with depending on your age. But we must learn to be the examples that God would have us to do, and I think these young men provide an example for us. You know, in this situation, as we will read shortly, they were basically called on to, to if they were going to stand for the truth, to give their life. And one day that may come for some as Christians even in this country. But I want us to look at the situation we're in today and how this applies to us as learning to speak the truth in love and humility and when to be silent and to, what, to let our actions be what people see, where they can see that the way we live, the way we choose to live, the ways we choose to serve God and interact with others is regulated by God's word, that it is what we say that we believe. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, we read, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We are stewards of God's word. By God's holy scriptures, we are the ones that can tell those with broken hearts the truth and help bind up the wounded. We are the ones who can shed light on the path for others, for our friends and for our families, for co-workers. We can answer the desperate with God's word, and we can correct the erring and the lost. 
We in God's word have been given the words to say, to say, and those are the very words of life. But often, as I've said, the focus of our responsibility before God to those around us is to see us be the truth, to live it out, to act as we should, and to embody God's word and to teach, and to teach the gospel, not only with our words, but with our lives, and challenge others with our lives. And I think that is the example, largely, that we have here in Daniel 3. Yes, they have to speak. They have to give an account for their actions, but their actions is what gets them called before the king. And at the heart of this story, in Daniel uh, 16, we have an encounter here in the middle of the chapter where the king is furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he calls them to account and they answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. They're saying, you've made your threats. You've promised to kill us. But we're not going to argue and we're not going to look for a way out. We have done what we've done. In 17 and 18, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They said, we believe God can deliver us, and he may choose to do that. But if he doesn't, we know these two things, that God will determine our future, and we will not bow. We will not equivocate. We're not looking for a way out. We trust God to determine our future and we will not bow. At this point, I think I make the point later here, but this is about 20 years since the time that they were brought into captivity. So these men are approaching 40 years old. So they're not teenagers anymore, but they have made choices that bring them to this place. So if you will, if you want to turn, open your Bibles to Daniel 3, begin verse 1 and 2. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come up to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. It strikes me in this reading that when he extends this invitation, when he calls them together, that he's decided to basically declare this outdoor festival. It's going to be a festive uh, thing where they gather and they worship this statue that he erected. And all the leaders of the people in the empire were to come and to, to participate in that. He wasn't starting a new religion. He was attempting to magnify himself and his empire. He plainly states that he set this up. This is the idol that he has chosen to unify his government. Verses 3 through 7, and I'm going to abbreviate some of the repetitiveness of the, the um, instruments and stuff because it can trip you up after a while. 
Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all of the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried, To you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall that same hour cast, be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time that you hear all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So, as I said, it appears to me in this reading that he had set up a festive atmosphere. He did not gather everyone with war horns, battle drums, or prior threats that we read of. He might have been harsh and cruel, but he thought of himself as enlightened. And he expected that everyone should be excited to participate in this festival that was to draw his government together to to worship the image that he had set up and to magnify himself. Now, once they were together, once they were participating, a threat was made, which is the one, what uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to later deal with. But in, the, in my reading of this, I understand it that, that there was no threat prior to this. I believe Nebuchadnezzar certainly considered it a great privilege for these leaders to be invited to this celebration to honor his greatness. This was a time when the pagan world all had their own gods. And he didn't necessarily require people whenever they were conquered to change their gods. They could believe privately what they wanted to believe. As long as they knuckled under and agreed that the conquering army or the conquering king, that his god was the greatest of gods. There was a possibility that people would not do that, and that's why that threat was there. But when you see Nebuchadnezzar's reaction, he really thought it almost impossible that anybody would refuse to bow to this uh, idol that he had set up. Continuing in verse 8, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet and flute and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. True disciples of Christ cannot, must not, be spiritually conquered. We cannot go along with the notion of other gods or the notions that are promoted now that are completely contrary to God's word and accept them and say they're acceptable and ignore them. 
verses 13 through 15. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready at that time that you hear all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hand? He is telling them, he said, I alone have the power. I have the power. Who is this God? I think it's in many ways parallel to the things we see today. Who is this God that matters? How can you say that those antiquated words mean anything? They're fables. The enemies who turned these three men in, I believe are like the enemies of many believers of any time and place. There may be people who reject you, who dislike you, maybe hate you, disapprove of you, or would actively, actively seek to undermine you for no reason other than your faithfulness to God. And so the opportunity presented itself to these, to these enemies, to the enemies of these men, and I think it does not appear to, from the reading to have been planned as it was in Daniel 6 when Daniel's enemies sought to put him in the, this same kind of position. What happened in this case was that jealous officials realized that during the music, when everybody bowed, these three men were standing. And they sought the opportunity to bring them to account for it. And so suddenly, these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were pressed to answer the big question, to answer the question uh, for their actions. They knew who they were. They knew what they stood for. They knew whom they believed in. They knew how to live rightly among unbelievers. Again, we'll pick up in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it so be our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into, their bur into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hose and their hat, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flames of the fire slew those men that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. We have some... Strange ideas, I guess, when we're young. 
the furnace to me was some sort of a big fireplace. That's how I had it in my mind. And when they were cast down, then they had to be cast in there. They kind of had to be little to get up and walk around. Weird things that you come up with. I think this was a large pit, a ravine. They were cast down there. And Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, he didn't care if they suffered. He just wanted them dead. He wanted them dead because they wouldn't do what he said. And so whenever he looks into that fire to see the demise of those who are now his enemies, says that he was astonished in verse 24. And he rose up in haste. He jumps up. And he spake unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fire is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace, and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes and governors and captains and all the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose body the fire, the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. Neither was their coat changed, nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. People my age, maybe a little younger, but around my age and older, probably remember, a, I'm sorry, I probably get this song stuck in your head for the next week, like it's been in mine for three weeks. Statler Brothers' fourth man, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't burn. And that's a catchy tune, and catchy the way they say that. But these men would not bend, they wouldn't bow, and God did not allow them to die for their faithfulness. That's not a promise we all have. We're promised in this life we will have trouble. We could suffer greatly for our faith, but that's okay. We cannot bow. I think the story of the fire makes a point about suffering in general. What happens when, though, we are innocent? that we are thrown into a situation of extreme difficulty, of extreme grief and pain, sickness, health, family who reject God, friends, Christian brothers or sisters who reject God, and we go through these storms of life, these fires. I want us to consider three things that I think we should learn. First, we as God's children, when we go through these struggles, these storms of life, God is there with us. He does not expect us to do it alone. He greatly desires that we will lean on Him and learn to trust Him as we go through these sufferings. When we trust in God and we go through these trials, there's no regret. That's not to say there's not pain and suffering and grief. But there's no regret in trusting God. Is that correct, Craig? There's no regret. 
Third, even though these men weren't burned, their bonds were burned. They were freer in the fire than they were immediately prior to being cast into it. As they were headed into that struggle, there was no way out. All they could do do was trust in God. And God freed them from that struggle and delivered them. And when we face our trials in life, it should expand our experience, our knowledge, our desire to serve God. We don't grow without the pain, brothers. It rarely happens. These men are examples that that did. They made a decision as 16, 17-year-old young men to make good choices. And it paid off here. But we're going to have trials, and they're going to be painful. And if we don't trust in God, then we will crumble. I think when we consider these young men, that something, an application we can draw is that they were making the proper choices before the crisis came. And that very often will be the most important thing about who you are. The, the, how you behave in a crisis, the stand you take that you cannot be removed from, and I assure you it very often will not make you popular. Your conviction, the stand you take and will not retreat from, is an undeniable testimony to the truth that formed you. Another application that we need to draw from this is that we need to identify that line we won't cross, that we cannot cross. We need to know ahead of time. And we're presented with enough in this world today that we should know full well there's things we can't go near. It's obvious. These young men rose to serve the king well, rose into positions of authority. They lived in the world without being of the world. They had to learn to deflect opposition with love and faith, humility and wisdom. They also had to learn when to confront it. You know, there's times things like that that can kind of sneak up on you, that you don't see what's coming that a crisis moment is about to happen. When you must stand up to a family member, an employer, a close lifelong friend, a brother. How do we know what to do? I think whenever you go back and look at these young men and they were presented, they were brought into the king's house and they were going to be fed the king's drink and his meat and Daniel went to these men to his his friends and he said you know we, we we need to not defile ourselves pray to God we need our brothers that's my point and it's good all the young people young people meaning my children's age and stuff that y'all have each other I'm not old it's just y'all are younger than me um, but seek the wise counsel of those who are aged, those who are your elders. Lean on one another that are in your age group. But if, if you view the world the same at 30 as you do when you're 50, then you have not grown. So go to those brethren and sisters who have grown, 
who have endured and who have faced things that you have not yet faced or things that the difficulties you may now be facing and they can understand and help. Use our brethren, use scripture, use God's word, use prayer. Until that moment of crisis comes, and it will come, we must make decisions daily to become a person of character, a person of greater character. We have to have the same commitment to the truth when we're alone as, when, as we have when we're around our friends. These three men, by their actions, by failing to bow, they told him through their actions, not in any form of arrogance, but they said through their actions, we're not impressed with power, with wealth, with greatness. These men had some sort of authority, probably some sort of wealth. Through their, <clears throat> through their stance, through their actions, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, we don't care that you can deliver us. It's not what we're choosing. We don't care for our authority, our stature, not above serving God. There are some obvious applications in our world to make to how we can be drawn away. That can be the pursuit of wealth or a living, and I'm not even talking about being my age and older and getting greater and greater wealth. The time I spent the most time away from my family when I was young and broke and probably should have made a different decision where I could make kind of the same money and be around more. But we need to be wise in our pursuit of just providing a living. Secondly, our time, and this point is made over and over again. I think the point I really want to make, and it's different in different stages in life. Kelly and I have not had children living in our home for, I guess, about five years now. We have a lot of quiet time, completely opposite of what it was immediately before that. And when you have young kids, you have different things to do, and a lot of these kids and teenagers and tweens, they want to be together with other children who they attend church with, and that is wonderful. But when we have quiet time, alone, at home, do we use that for study and for prayer? I can remember other people saying it. I can remember saying it over the years Long goes, well, sometimes I just have difficulty with my prayer life. I'll tell you where that changed for me. When people started coming to me and saying, please pray for me. I have this issue. I have this struggle. Why did that change it? Because even in my best intentions, in prayers that concerned me and my life, and raising my children to be godly people, what was it about? It was still about me. And when our prayers become important, an important vehicle to help other people 
And it has nothing to do with us except that we live a life that God will hear us so then we can help others. That will change your perspective on prayer, I believe. The last point is stature or prestige. I don't really know how to describe it, how people view us. Consider the degraded state of our society today. I've said it for a lot, a lot of years, but I never dreamed it would be here. The ab abhorrent, immoral behaviors that are celebrated, that are promoted, promoted by government, by businesses, by people we do business with, by employers, by schools. All of this is social media, anything, nearly anything you can think of. We need to know and understand and be fully convicted that we have more in common with the people in this building, the people that choose to gather and fellowship and worship and serve God than anybody of this society, whether it's our family, our children. When people reject God and reject his teachings, these are the people that we can depend on, and we must depend on them. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25 through 31, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Do you know the things that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew? That God is able to save us, that he can rescue us. But if that's not what he chooses to do, we will not bow. We will not bow to the things of this world. True Christian devotion calms the spirit. It helps our minds to focus on God and the things that he would have us to do. Proud men still say, who is this God that shall deliver you? God our Father is that God. Jehovah God can deliver us. He can deliver us from sin he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from making this mistake of bowing because that they had chosen to serve him. God will deliver us. He will either deliver us from death or in death. The faithful must obey God rather than man. We must... Re Rather suffer than sin. 
We must not do evil that may come. Uh, we must not do evil that good may come. And so these things that did not move them, their fear of death or pain did not deter them from standing, standing for God. If there are any here this evening, no matter what the cause may be, if you have difficulties in your life, struggles, that you think the prayers of your brethren would help you, would invite you to come. If there's one who has been taught the gospel and would like to obey God in baptism at this time, would invite you to come as we stand and sing. <clears throat>